It was on a minute ago. Hey, hello, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, if this is your first first time with us, really special welcome to you tonight. I got to meet a couple of you. That was fun. Um, real glad you're with us. Uh, my name is Jeff. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I spell it with a G if that helps you remember. Um, there you go. Jeffrey the Giraffe, Toys R Us, making a comeback. Did you guys all see that? Toys R Us is coming back. Get ready. Yeah, yeah, they're restarting the brand. Sorry, that's not what we're talking about tonight. There's more important things tonight. All right. Yeah, so, okay, so this is the point we've come to, uh, and we'll do this most of our Friday nights together, where we look at Scripture as a community. This, is, this, this, this book here, it's not really a book, it's more of a library. Let's be real. So many books, wonderful things in here. This is our, our source text for our understanding of God. And so we shape a lot of our time together around it. And so uh, one of us who has spent the week sort of praying and studying the scripture for the night shares what they've learned from the Lord with the whole community so we can all learn it and be shaped by it. And, uh, and we really hope you'll engage in these times. Uh, we hope that, and we expect actually, we expect that God, when you come and say, God, I'm going to give you an hour and a half on my Friday night, that God says, and I'm ready to speak to you. Get ready. Get ready to hear and so if you come expecting to hear from God, we're excited to hear what you, to see what you're going to hear through whoever's uh, up here explaining it on a given night, okay? So you might see people taking notes around you. We encourage that. Uh, that's a good way to learn. Uh, it's an important way to remember. I, my professor told me one time, when you take notes, it's like you're seeing it or, or your, your brain is processing it three times. Once audibly, when you hear the person talking about it. Once uh, mechanically, when you write it. I'm not left-handed, but I'm holding the mic, so this is... This. Mechanically, when you write it, and then again, when, you, when your eyes read it back off the page. So it's actually a, a really helpful way to learn. That tip is free. You'll make it through college if you take notes. Um, and so here's my method of taking notes. I go to the bookstore every year and buy like a dozen of these. Um, they're $1.25 at the bookstore. Um, and you can, you can grab yours. That works for me. It's both my journal and kind of my, uh, my preaching notes kind of thing. And I, I recommend it. So there you go. Um, this quarter, we are studying together the way of Jesus. And, uh, and the, the, way, the place we're starting off is right at the beginning of, of this way. We're kind of at the beginning of, uh, you could call it like a quarter-long road trip. Uh, when Jesus was ministering in person in the first century, uh, being a Christian, being a Jesus Christ follower, actually meant following him around. People said, what are you all about? And he said, come and see. Um, people said, how do I figure out what life is all about? And how do I know it's not just the pump fake versions that the culture offers? That's like Jeff Mumley interpretation version. And Jesus would say, come follow me. So when I say we're kind of on a road trip, I, I really do mean that. If you are a Christian or if you're someone who's exploring Christianity, then you are following. You should walk around with him. You should do life with him. Um, lots of you have been Christians your whole life, uh, but now that you're in college, you actually get to start following him independent from your background. And that's a big deal. In fact, you have to. You have to decide if and how you will follow him for yourself. Not just because you used to, not just because your family did or your parents still do. This is on you now. I think that's pretty exciting. Uh, and lots of you also have no church background or religious, religious background. You're in the same boat. 
you also have to decide for yourself, not just on what you've heard, if and how you're going to follow Jesus. So, what does it mean to follow him around today while you're in college here at Western? What is the way of Jesus for us? I want to read you a story, and it's how the way of Jesus begins. It's the way uh, of Jesus, the way, the way of Jesus starts with this episode, okay? And since we're just starting this year together on the way of Jesus, it makes sense to start there too. So let's look at how it starts, Jesus' way starts, so we can know how we should start. It's short and sweet, kind of like the whole book of Mark. Uh, the passage we're going to read, the story is just three verses, uh, but it's how the way of Jesus begins, and it comes from the very first chapter of Mark, verses 9 through 11, Okay? At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan River. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, having read that, I would like to pray and invite Jesus to speak to us through his word. Lord Jesus, we believe and have experienced that you are here with us tonight. We are not pretending. You are actually with us. And you are excited to help these words come alive for our lives right now. We are still following you. We are still invited to follow you. And so, Lord, I pray for everybody, wherever they're at, uh, whether they've decided, yep, I'm following, or I'm kind of just checking this out, that we would hear from you in your word through these stories that we're going to look at tonight about you and about the things that you say are true. Jesus, we love you, and uh, I'm glad we get to spend time listening to what you're like tonight. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this this story, this episode, it's it's pretty brief, right? But it's also quite bizarre. Yeah? Three verses of kind of weird stuff. Uh, there's a little geography in there with Nazareth and Galilee. What's, what's all that about? Uh, there's a river, right? Um, there's John the baptizer, who uh, baptizing is like his thing, apparently. Um, he's a fascinating character. I really encourage you, if you can, to, to read more about him on your own time. He is cool and very, very like bizarre and awesome. Go read about him. He's great. But I actually think that the wildest part of this story, the wildest part, is the collision between heaven and earth. Heaven is torn open. And the contents of heaven spill out into this earthy geography of the scene. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And we're not, we're not actually told whether it was like a literal bird flying down or if the spirit came down dove-like, like gentle and, and peacefully resting on Jesus. The te- this text particularly isn't, isn't clear. And then there's this voice through the rip in heaven. And we know it's the voice of God the Father because he says to Jesus, you are my son. This story, right at the beginning of the way, This is the story that actually kicks off the way of Jesus, because after this, Jesus goes and starts his ministry. This story really should raise a lot of questions for us. 
And we'll come back to that, that, this story. But one question we've got to ask is, who is this God who speaks from heaven? What's he like? And if uh, for the rest of his ministry, Jesus claims to be God among us, being exactly like God so the world can see what God is like in the flesh, then what does Jesus show us about what God is like? So, my question for you to think about, what's your view of God? How many of you are um, art or design majors in the room? Wave proudly. Yeah. God bless your sleep, all of you. I, I roomed with a design major, and he was nocturnal and awake during the day. It was a crazy life. Um, for those of you who are those kinds of majors, is it true what I've heard that the human face is one of the hardest things to draw? Yes, okay. One person is sure. You got it. Um, so, I want all of you to pretend you have mad drawing skills. There, you're pretending you've got mad drawing skills. Good job. If you could draw God's face, if God was looking at you right now, what would his face look like toward you tonight? I want you to think about that. You can close your eyes if you want to. What would his expression be as he looked at you? There's a, there's a lot of views about what God's like out there, aren't there? Um, I, think, I think that a lot, some people, uh, and, and probably for some good reasons, uh, think God is angry, that he's disapproving. Maybe he's grumpy, or at least he's got a temper that you do not want to set off. I think some people even use the Bible to explain him that way. They'll say, well, in the Old Testament... He's angry and judgmental, kind of mean. But in the New Testament, he's loving and gracious and gentle. I know lots of Christians who think the Old Testament is all about the rules you're supposed to follow so that God doesn't smite you, right? But the New Testament God, oh, that's Jesus. And he's full of grace and mercy, and he never smites anybody. Now, if that were true, that would be really problematic. Because if that's your view of God, then how do you know which God you're going to get? There's a God, that's a God who's inconsistent, who's unreliable, kind of shifty, who changes like two-thirds of the way through these pages. I'm not sure that's the kind of God who's stable enough to follow. I've got some good news for you. God is the same across the whole Bible. The God of the Old Testament and the New does not change. He's exactly the same. Even the Old Testament, as as, as bad a rap as it gets sometimes by pop culture, even the Old Testament is not about obeying all the rules so you can stay on God's good side. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this to you in just one example. There's many, many examples, but just here's one, and it's probably the biggest one, okay? For those of you who are familiar with the Bible, you have to remember that God rescues his people out of slavery in Egypt, this is Old Testament stuff, long before he gives them any rules. Remember that? 
Okay, how many of you have seen this movie? Yeah. So it's so great. Now, it's old, but the animation was way ahead of its time. It's so beautiful. It's such a great flick. And the music, oh my gosh. Oh, the soundtrack is just, oh man, Whitney and Mariah together. Oh, come on. Mm. All day I could listen to that. So good. Now, seriously, if you're looking for a core movie night, this is a winner. All right? Okay. This movie is based on the book of Exodus, which details out the story of God's rescue of Israel out from Egyptian oppression. And this is important. The book of Exodus comes before the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which detail out the conditions of God's covenant with his rescued people. The rescue, which this movie is all about, comes before the rules. Salvation comes before obedience. If you read the text, God rescues his people. Then he calls them his family. He says, now we're family. And then later, he says, now that you're my people, here's what it looks like to live like my people so that the whole watching world can get to know me through watching our family relate together. The saving comes first. And then people obey out of gratitude for getting saved. And God is consistent across both Testaments. And Jesus, God among us, is exactly like that. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that Jesus died for us while we were still opposed to him. You see, at just the right time, I'm reading from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Roman Christians. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love, his kind of love, the depth of his love, In this, while we were still sinners, opposed to God, working against the way God wants us to live, while we were in that fists up at God's zone, he died for us. The God of the Bible, Old Testament and New, has always been about rescue that leads to relationship. This is actually... I would suggest the most significant difference between Judeo-Christianity and the rest of the, of the popular religions around the world. Most other spiritualities and religions, even some popular versions of Christianity out there, say if you do this, then you'll get this. It's a, it's a cause and effect relationship. If you do all the right things, you'll receive whatever your sort of spiritual goal is. Enlightenment or nirvana or paradise or heaven. You have the the eightfold path of Theravada Buddhism to enlightenment. You have the five pillars of Islam that lead you to paradise. Or even you have going to church or being a good person or reading your Bible enough. And that somehow you get to heaven by doing those things. Now, I know, these are, these are generalizations about some really intricate and beautiful religious cultures. But when you boil them down... It's what we do that allows us to receive. But God flips that cause and effect relationship around. Suddenly the cause 
becomes what God does, what we receive from him, and the effect is what we do. He does it in both the Old and the New Testament. God rescues Israel before they've obeyed one law. The covenant law isn't even a thing yet when Israel is is delivered from Egypt. And while you and me were still rebelling against the ways God says we should live, Jesus died for us. Obeying the rules comes after that. When we see the size and grandeur and mind-blowing reality of what God has done for us and what he offers us if we'll follow him, true life, forgiveness, which we'll look at in depth next Friday, that's why we, why we try to live obediently. That's why we follow, because that song we sang earlier is true. Clearly, there is no other God like this. No other God makes this offer. No other God says, you can't rescue yourselves. Let me do it for you. And after the rescue, now, let's talk about what it looks like to live together. It's important, I would even say essential, that we have this view of God, that God wants to be close to you and me before we're cleaned up, before you're healthy, before you've obeyed a single rule, even before you've decided what you think about him. And it's important that you know that Jesus is exactly like that. Now, I want us to pause Whatever you're taking notes on, I want you to write down whatever is buzzing in your mind. Just between you and the Lord. Something I said that you're like, that's baloney. False. Or, man, that raises these questions for me. Or, I've never thought about that before. Just take a two minutes, maybe one minute, and just write it down. Just process a little bit what, you, what you've heard. Go ahead. Okay. We'll do that sometimes. This won't be the last time we do that. But sometimes it's nice to just pause and say, what am I hearing right now? What do I want to remember from this, this what, what was just said? What do I disagree with? What, do I, what, what, what questions does that raise for me? What am I learning right now? What am I being challenged with in my brain, in my heart? What makes me uncomfortable with that? What's comforting about that? Okay? It's good to process. I want to tell you another story. Uh, at this one, it starts, and Jesus, the exact representation of God, with us, if you ask those original disciples, show me your God, they could say, he's over there, and point at Jesus. That's what Jesus demonstrates himself to be. It's what we claim to be. If you want to know what God is like, look real close at Jesus, because they're exactly the same. In this story, Jesus is surrounded by a crowd at the foot of a mountain. Then this happens. Large crowds followed Jesus as he came down the mountainside. Suddenly, a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, it's important to recognize a few things about leprosy. What this guy had. First, it was terminal. There was no cure. In the ancient world, once you got it, you knew how you were going to die. And second, it was contagious. Touching someone who had it could cause you to get it. 
Which means, sociologically, as soon as you found out that you had this skin disease, you had to leave. You had to leave your family. You had to leave your town. You had to leave everything you were familiar with. And you had to go live in a colony with other infected people so no one else caught the disease. And if you ever needed to come into a populated area, you had to bang a bell and let people know you were coming. Or you had to to shout, unclean, unclean, so people could have time to get out of the way. Now remember, in this story, there's a crowd around Jesus at the foot of the mountain. Which means that this contagious man had to push through that crowd to make it to Jesus' feet. Which means he's knocking people, he's knocking into people on his way to Jesus. And as people realize who he is, as they can see the disease on his skin, you have to imagine they start freaking out. They're probably picking up stones to chuck at him, to get him out of there. What is this leper doing? He's going to get us killed. Get him out of here. That's the drama in this text. You have to hear that. That's what's going on around this story. Look at what Jesus does. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. When's the last time someone touched this man on purpose? When's the last time this man felt someone else's hand on him? I don't know where Jesus touched him. We're not told. But I like to think it was his face. And the man's kneeling. So Jesus probably had to get down and crouch and look at him and put his hand on his face. Jesus says, I am willing. Be healed. Instantly, leprosy disappeared, and the man was healed. The reason I tell you this story is because it shows us that this man was loved before he was healthy. He is touched by God while he's still contagious. He is made clean when there's nothing he can do to clean himself. He is rescued before he's ever in relationship with Jesus. Jesus loved this man before he could ever obey him. And if Jesus was God among us, and if Jesus is still alive and worth following tonight, then the same is true for you and for me. He offers you and me a relationship with him before we could ever be righteous. Do you know that God sees you that way? I asked earlier how you view God, but I wonder how you think God views you. Do you know that you are loved First, that the first thing he sees about you is lovable. I wonder what you've been told about yourself 
about who you are, about what you're like. Maybe you've been told that you're ugly or fat or gross or you sound weird or for whatever other reason, you're just not very lovable. You need to know that God disagrees. You are lovely. You are beloved. You are so, so lovable. On the other hand, maybe you've been told that you are perfect, that you're flawless, that you're exceptional, and everything you do is awesome. And I know that can be equally pressuring. Because you better not screw up. You better not let anybody see those flaws that are there. They worked so hard to hide. So people would keep thinking, you are awesome. You better keep looking exceptional. Or else. What a tyranny to be ruled by the expectation of perfection. You need to know that Jesus wants to touch your face. (laughs) Wherever you're at. He wants to touch whatever mess is true about you. Because he loves you. And he's exactly like God. Worship team, you guys can come up and start getting ready. We started tonight with the first episode on the way of Jesus. We started with the baptism of Jesus. It's the episode where the way of Jesus begins. The way of Jesus begins with a a declaration as heaven and earth collide. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. And what is so radical about that story, about what the father speaks over his son, is that Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't healed anybody. He hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He hasn't cast out one demon. He hasn't preached one sermon. He hasn't even recruited one disciple. But the father says to him, before you do any of that, I love you. In a sense, he says, my son, as you begin showing others the way, I want you to know that I am already proud of you. My friends, this, that statement, that truth, this is where the way of Jesus begins. This is how it starts. If you have decided to follow the way of Jesus with us this year, then you need to know that you are already loved. Before you even started, God was already proud of you. 
This is the gospel. This is the good news about the way, the way, that, the way of Jesus begins. That you are his before you even come home. That you are died for before you even accepted that gift. And you are approved, delighted in, enjoyed, and pleasing to God before you ever obeyed him even one time. Tonight, I just want you to know that. I want you to know what God is like. And that Jesus, the one we are following along the way, is exactly like him. So I want to close before we sing with those words from heaven over you. I want you to hear him speaking those truths over you before we sing about him. You, each of you, are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and I am already proud of you. 